This podcast is a ministry of Crossroads Community Church in Hatfield, Pennsylvania. And now, the message. So we were going to talk about the importance of endings in the Bible. After all, when, when God does great things, he gave specific instructions to his people about setting up monuments. In fact, for a while, we were going to put a huge pile of rocks right in the middle of the room as a visual until I started picking up those rocks and I realized I'd have to move them again. So we got rid of that idea. But setting up memorials, times to remember, times to reflect on God's faithfulness, because not only do we enjoy that testimony, it says something about what we are to expect next. And that's a, that's a message worth giving. Maybe I'll still give it sometime. But the events of this past week have gone beyond that. All of you uh, have heard about the, the, the uprisings in Charlottesville. And you're not unaware of the, the ongoing tensions that have existed uh, in, this, in our nation recently. It seems as though there's something has been simmering under the surface, and uh, now it has found all kinds of political outlets. I don't talk about politics much. I'm not going to talk about politics much today, except to say that politics matters because politics are an expression of our values. So by the time we're done, I hope that you'll understand that uh, I think Jesus would have us respond in a specific way to what we see going on in our country. I will say this as, as, as we start, that when it comes to race, uh, I was raised in a home that was very open, and I would have said, I am not a racist. I am not, a, I am non-racial, I'm, not, I'm, I'm a non-racist. I was raised in Minneapolis, for crying out loud. I didn't even realize that there was a difference in color or races with people until til we moved to Florida. I remember my mom saying, now, you need to know, people act different here. And it was bewildering to me. It would be really easy. And many of you, I know you. You, like me, harbor no ill will. And yet, uh, when we see reports of violence and racism and this kind of white nationalism, white supremacy kind of a thing, uh, how is the church to respond? Now, to set the stage, I just have to say that this is actually nothing new to the church. The church has experienced this throughout its life. And I'm talking about not Crossroads or Montgomery. I'm going back to the beginning of the church. The church leaders in the New Testament, they knew what it meant to deal with racial issues. It happened to them all the time. After all, the church was birthed out of Judaism. And when Jews started acting like Christ followers, it created problems. But then when Gentiles became Christ followers, it just really, it really began to potentially tear the church apart. So the church leaders had experienced this, and I, I just thought it would be fair, it would be a good idea for us to kind of take a look. If you have a Bible, I'm going to encourage you to take it, open it to Acts chapter 10. There's also a blue hardcover Bible probably nearby. If you have that, you open that up as well. Peter, one of the church leaders, 
had to deal with racial issues. And we begin reading about his experience. He had a very unique, life-changing experience in Acts 10. Starting in verse 9, we read this. About noon the following day, as we were on our journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. Pause. This is a cultural thing. Do not go on your roof to pray. Okay? Not if you have a typical tip pitched roof like us. But in, in this, they, they were rooftop gardens, rooftop patios. You catch a little breeze up there. So he's on the roof praying. I just didn't want you to picture him sitting on the tip top of a peaked roof. And he became hungry and he wanted something to eat. Does that ever happen to you in your quiet time? Happens to me all the time. And while the meal was being prepared, which is so interesting, like you can kind of smell breakfast being cooked downstairs, right? You're trying to pray and concentrate. It says, and while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance and he saw heaven opened and something like a large sheep being let down to earth by its four corners. Hmm, never happened to me. And that sheet contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord. Surely not, Lord. You see, Peter was a good Jew. And the Jews knew that there were foods that were unclean to them. This was God who had told them about this. This is part of what made them a unique people. And so he's just going by exactly the way he was raised. What he'd been taught was right. No, Lord, he replied, I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. Then a voice spoke to him a second time. It says, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. And Peter was obviously wired a little like me because that happened three times for him to get the message. Take and eat. No way, Lord. Don't call it unclean. Sorry. Take and eat. No way, Lord. Oh, come on, Mike. What, how long is it going to take you to catch this? Happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back up into heaven. Now, I want you to picture Peter sitting on a roof, blinking, going, what was that all about? Some of you know this story. On the rooftop, he gets this lesson of a lifetime that says, things that I say are clean should not be treated as unclean. Now, we're going to find out this, was, he's, this he uses this as an illustration because soon we're going to interact with Gentiles. But this lesson should not have been all that new to Peter. I mean, he's a Jew. He knew the Old Testament. In Genesis 1, we, we learned that everyone is created in God's image. Everyone bears that mark. In Deuteronomy, God spoke to God's people, and he said, For the Lord your God is a God of gods. He's Lord of lords, the great God, the mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow. He loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. You are to love those who are foreigners, for you yourselves were foreigners in Egypt. That was the instruction to the Jewish people. Peter should have kind of known what God's position would be on this. And yet he had absorbed what his culture had been feeding him. No way. Mm -mm. They can't let those things touch. Well, the story goes on. While Peter's thinking about this, he's still on the roof trying to figure out what just happened. And then down below, some men sent by Cornelius, a Gentile. 
they've come and they found where Simon's house was and they stopped at the gate and they called out asking Simon if, uh, if the guy known as Peter was staying there. Imagine Peter being up on the roof and hearing all this going on. What, what's, what's going on? So while talking to Peter, they went inside and they found a large gathering of people. And he said to them, um, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you've sent for me? Now, let's, let's back up. So these guys come and say, hey, uh, we, we would like you to come. And so Peter goes with them to this Gentile's home. When he arrives, there's a crowd there. And Peter says, okay, now I think you guys understand that normally I shouldn't be here as a Jew. But God has recently helped me to understand that maybe I have to rethink what is impure and what is clean. So here I am. I have condescended to show up. Now I need to know why you want me here. Now the rest of the story Basically, Cornelius shares his story. He's been seeking God. He's been praying, God, if you're there, speak to me, talk to me. By the way, this still happens. When someone who's seeking God struggles with what they're hearing versus what they wish was true. God, if you're there, help me, show up, talk to me. And sometimes when you or I get a nudge from God that says, why don't you go talk to so-and-so? It's because this very thing is happening. So Cornelius shares this story. I've been praying. I've been seeking God. I want to know how can I know God. And when I prayed this, an angel appeared to me and said, send for Peter. So here you are. So when Peter hears this story, now it's starting to click. Wow. Look what God is doing. He says, now I realize how it is true that God does not show favoritism, but accepts every nation, from every nation, the one who fears him and who does what is right. Now, Peter kind of had an aha moment there. He has this vision. Of course, he had to have it three times. Okay. But then when Cornelius' men show up and they say, come, he goes. But when he goes, he goes, hey, I really shouldn't be here. Oh, come on, Peter. But when Cornelius says what's going on, he's, how must, what do I have to do to be saved? Peter goes, I get it. By the way, do you get it? Do you, do you realize that there, were a, there was a group of people that religious folks like us thought were just going to automatically go to hell because of who they were? We were the chosen ones, not them. And they thought that was right. Kind of twisted, huh? Thankfully, God shows up and says, that's not what I meant. Because now, those who are far away, they're welcome to be a part of you as well. Wow. Peter gets it. This is fantastic. This is amazing. In fact, after they celebrate and there's some kind of a revival and people raising their hands and filling out connect cards because they're getting saved and whatever, and, and then it's time to eat. Can you imagine how excited Peter was? A good Jewish boy was about to taste pork chops. <laughs> he was about to taste ham for the first time in his life. 
He never had shrimp and rice or whatever. I mean, no, he was, it was so, he was thrilling. It's so exciting. In fact, sits down and what a cross-cultural celebration. What a joy. But the, the night didn't go that way the whole time. See, Peter and his guys are there celebrating. Now they realize that they can associate with Gentiles, that they can come into the kingdom of God just like us. This is great. Until something happens. Another group of Jews show up. We know about this because Paul talks about it in the book of Galatians. Starting in Galatians 2, Paul relates this story. Starting in verse 11. And when Cephas, that's Peter, came to Antioch, and I opposed him to his face. So, so Peter shows up where Paul is, and he says, hey, I got a bone to pick with you. And he's referring to this night, having dinner with the Gentiles. He says, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For certain men came from James, these are the other Jews who came along later, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. Do you see what happened? Peter and his friends are fine eating all that good soul food until more Jews show up. Whoa. And can you imagine how that went? Peter, what are you, what are you, what are you doing? What's wrong with you? So, well, they can come into the kingdom. That's fine. They can believe, but you don't eat with them. Come on. That's just crossing it. That's really uncomfortable. That's just and because he was so sensitive, like, um, uh, and, and, and he withdrew. You and I, if I'm honest, I would have thought that was a prudent thing to do, a thoughtful thing to do, a generous thing to do. Paul gets in his face and he says, you be a hypocrite. And it got worse. Peter didn't just withdraw. It says, and the other Jew Jews joined him in this hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. Barnabas was, he was, the, he was at least one of those guys that should have understood. Guys, guys, hang on. But he got carried, right? Because there's peer pressure. I know you've never experienced peer pressure. Everybody's doing it. And you're like, uh, well, okay, I guess so. so. And, you just, and we just coast with it. And when I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of them all, you are, are, you, you, are, <laughs> you are a Jew, and yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? I wish I had time to explain to you how deep and how divisive this cultural, racial divide was but people could almost smell it in the air. It was so powerful. Now, if you're here today and you've trusted Jesus as your Savior, the, the New Testament tells us that you, like me, we, we've become new creations, new creatures, that we've been remade by Christ, the Spirit of God is alive in us, and that we should find our identity in Christ more than in these other things. Uh, I'm German-Irish heritage. And the older I get, the more German and Irish I see. Right? And some of it is enjoyable and some of it not so much. Or maybe it's the way that you were raised. You were raised in a wealthy home. You were raised in a Depression-era poor home. And you, those things still come out. In the, or you were raised in the North, in the Northeast. Or you were raised in the South. I'm a Democrat. 
I'm a Republican. What, what is it that we find our identity in? Those things are, are, are normal. The message from the New Testament is that we ought to find our identity in Christ, and that should surpass all those other markers. But it's easy for all of us, isn't it, to revert back to what we've always known. The things that we grew up with, the things that have been ingrained deeply in our minds. So I just want to suggest that what we've been seeing in our country recently, it, it, it has always been there. Everybody knows that, of course, unless you're white. Because, you see, those of us who are white, those of us that probably do enjoy certain privileges and safeties and things that we just take for granted, it's not until it bubbles into our newsfeed that we're reminded that there is something cooking underneath in people's hearts, and it's ugly. And then every once in a while we realize, I feel it myself. These newscasts, these events, act more like a Rorschach test. Do you know what a Rorschach test is? Ink blots, right? Or you, you kind of show somebody an ink blot and you ask them, what do you see? And the idea here is that obviously there's nothing really in there, and yet be, sometimes our subconscious thoughts, the things that we're feeling, we will find kind of portrayed. We find in these ink blots the things that we're thinking about, struggling with, afraid of. That was the idea. I want to suggest that this past week, the news is like a Rorschach test for all of us who know Jesus. As all of this has come up, haven't you struggled? I have. <laughs> we sit and have conversation after conversation. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah I think it was right. No, but no. And we're perking through these feelings. I hear the newscast, and all of a sudden, I'm filled with feelings. And there's a mix of feelings. It's not all clear to me. I find myself wanting to pick sides. Well, OK, OK, you know what? But that, that's right. That's, that's right. And that actually, oh, no, it's not right. No. I'm not against statues. Tearing down statues seems bad. They're, wait, wait, they stand for what? Oh, tear them down. Oh, yeah, that's what, oh, yeah, absolutely. And it's so easy for me and you, isn't it, when we sit in our living rooms on the couch, we've got all these opinions. Can we just read a passage of scripture? I want this just to sink in. Just listen to the word of God from Ephesians 2. And you were dead in your transgressions and sins. In which, and I'm sorry, I'm gonna, I, I cannot read it and do it the way I memorized it, so it won't be exactly the way it is in NIV. In which you formerly walked in the lusts of your flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy with that great love with which he loved us, even while we were dead in our transgressions, has raised us up with him, has made us alive and raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in order that in the ages to come, we might show forth the exceeding riches of his grace in us. God raised us up with Christ, verse 6, and he seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ in order that in the ages to come he could show his incomparable, the NIV says, riches of grace expressed in his kindness toward us. He was kind to us. 
for by grace you've been saved through faith. Not, not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Therefore, every Bible student understands to ask, what's the therefore, therefore? Therefore, because of the way he saved you, remember that formerly you, who are Gentiles by birth, called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is done in the body by hands, human hands. Remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the citizenship of Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of promise. You were without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who, who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups into one and has destroyed the barrier. Which barrier is he talking about? In this context, it's between Jew and Gentile. But that barrier stands for all those barriers. He has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside how? In his flesh. He actually suffered physically. Setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and its regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. For through him, we both have access. All of us have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, we are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens built on the foundation of the apostolic prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. All this is from God, who reconciled himself to us. Oh, back up. Let me pause there for a minute. So he saved us when we were far from him, when we were foreigners in every sense of the word. It just seems like those who've been saved by faith ought to know what it feels like to be a foreigner and left out. We ought to know that those who are far away from Christ and foreigners of any sense, they're loved by Christ too. Now, it gets complicated with politics and laws. Okay? I think God loves foreigners. If we have laws that govern how people come to our country, those laws should be followed. Absolutely. If those laws are unjust, they should be changed. But there's nothing wrong with following laws. In fact, this whole system seems to put the laws and the regulations and our safety and our security and who we are as Americans, and somehow that's all threatened by people who have needs. I'm not sure that's the case. Don't, don't get me wrong. Okay? If there's a bus full of terrorists, I'm not for letting them in. Okay? If they got little buttons, terrorist in training or something, they should stop. I'm sorry. But I want to say something. There are so many tentacles to this politically and socially. 
and they tug at us in all different ways. What we need to do as believers is pause and take a breath and get down to what we think is primary. How would Jesus treat these people? And is there something that I can do that would parallel what he would do? That's what I think Paul's talking about in 2 Corinthians 5. He says, all this is from God who reconciled to himself, himself th us to himself through Christ, and he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. He reconciled us, and then he gave us the job. Reconciliation. We use that word often applied to racial issues. There are issues that go even beyond race, but they all require reconciliation. He was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and he has committed to us this message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. I know most of you and I know that we don't all share exactly the same political view, and we probably don't hold it with the same veracity. I don't think the Spirit of God, I don't think our unity is threatened by that, as long as we know what it is that, that takes a priority over all of that. And that's how Christ would have us respond. Most of us are not going to be called upon to write the next immigration policy. So I don't have to have all of that figured out, perhaps. I just need to know how I'm supposed to respond later today when we go out for lunch. Or the beginning of the work week when my coworker comments on a newscast. How do I respond? Let me just give you a couple thoughts. Passages from Scripture. Romans 12.2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. Whatever it is that you see or hear that's coming from the world, do not conform to it, whether it agrees with your politics or not, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Ephesians 5.11, have nothing to do with the free, fruitless deeds of darkness. Don't do what's bad. Don't discuss what's bad. In fact, rather, expose them. I'm not standing around for the rest of this conversation, you guys. This is wrong. Who does he think he is? And you walk away saying, well, that wasn't very helpful. Maybe it was the most helpful thing you could do. John 7. Stop judging by mere appearances. <laughs> just, just take Jesus at his word. Stop judging by mere appearances. But instead, judge correctly. Oh, that's the trick, isn't it? What's correct? We have to go back to the word of God. What's correct? Hmm. Actually, Jesus covered that. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. 
For that sums up all the law and the prophets. It's actually not that complicated when we boil it down. And James says this. If you really want to keep the royal law, you really want to obey and please Jesus, found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right, good thing. But if you show favoritism, it's not the best. No, it's not what he says. He says, it's sin. If you show favoritism, it's sin. And you're convicted by the law as lawbreakers. Oh. I struggle because some of you are not going to like me when we're done. And I kid myself all the time that all of you like me. But when I was done perking through this, I didn't like myself. You see, I've done something in the last few years of my life that and the church as a whole has been guilty of it, but I'm not going to just put it off on the church. I say I am non-racist. I am, I am non-racist. I am not a racist. And I've patted myself on the back and thought, good Christian, I'm not a racist. But if, if, I, if I look at what Jesus said, he doesn't invite me to be a non-racist. He expects me to be an anti-racist. He ex expects me to speak up. Now, the hard part is sometimes I'm not sure what the right thing is to say. And sometimes with that little Rorschach test, I'm feeling a little bit like, well, I, well you know what, though? And, and, and I'm struggling. And so it takes such time. Sometimes I have to stop and pause. How can I show love in this situation? What would love look like? This talk will not solve all of the political conversations. I just want to help get us on the right track. I don't think Jesus expects us to be non-racist, to sit there and say, when you see these things happen, oh, 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 it's terrible. That's just terrible. Do you realize that that's what the church did during slavery? Oh, oh, oh it's terrible. Oh, oh. It isn't enough. Do you realize that that's what the church did in Germany? Oh, oh, oh that's just, oh, what is wrong with them? Why do they have such a problem with the Jews? That's silly. But they didn't speak up. They didn't march. They didn't shout. They didn't write. They didn't contend. And six million people died. So here we are on the cusp of leaving this building and going to our new campus. Is this whole message off topic or exactly on topic? What is, it, what is the stewardship that he has given us as we move to that new campus and that new, new community? Is it to enter that community and be, you know, generally we're against bad things. Now come sing with us because <laughs> you love it. And then we have great food at our fellowship things. It's just great. Oh, you just love it. Yeah, oh, no, we're, we're against bad things. Really? I think Jesus would say, show them. Show them. I think as we move into that community, we better be prepared to engage with it. 
Now, I don't know what that means. Some of you are like, already you're like, okay, okay, I'm not going to some big rally because people get run over. I'm not going to a rally. I'm not saying go to a rally. Although some of us are wired to go to rallies. There's, a, there's, a, there's actually a, a prayer service in Lansdale tonight. I hope I can go. I just want to go. I just want to be there. I don't even know who's going to be there. But I know that what they're praying about and talking about, I'm for. They're against violence. They're against racism. I'm going to show up. I should show up. I shouldn't just hear, oh, good for them. Get off the couch, Mike. So some of us might rally. Some of us might make signs. Some of us might write letters. Whew. But if you're overwhelmed by all that, you know what you could do? You could just pause. Take a big, deep breath and say, I can be civil. I can let the guy that wants to get over in front of me, even though there really isn't enough room for another car to get in there. <laughs> I was on the turnpike last night. Believe me, I know exactly what I'm talking about. Driving along, I was like, really? 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 Who thinks a car can? OK, fine. Yep, there you go. <laughs> right? And every time that happened, it was ringing in my heart. Just make room. Well, my wife was saying that too. Just make room. OK. But, <laughs> But it belies something in me. I don't want to lose. You know, this is a race, and by God, it, what? And that carries over into all these other things. Well, this is our country. Ex ex excuse me. So you went and got it? Well, well, no, actually, it's just given to me. Huh? That's what I thought. It was given to you, but it mustn't be given to anyone else. Well, some of them are bad. Mike, you were bad. You are bad. Well, you don't understand. Some of us could be in danger. You know what? Danger. Danger is relative, Mike. Not obeying me, Jesus says, far more dangerous than letting somebody be violent towards you. Maybe it starts by deciding when you go to work to let somebody get in front of you and wave. Hey, have a good day. Please, no, go ahead. I know it says eight or less. Go ahead. No, no big deal. Being kind. Just being kind. But especially looking for opportunities to be kind to those who are being pushed to the sides of our culture. And if God gives you an opportunity come alongside someone of a, of a different color, a different race, we jump at the chance. Because it's a chance to show what Jesus, to demonstrate what he's saying. I know we got to go, and I could talk about this for a long time. So check your heart. Are you open to what Jesus is doing? Respond in whatever way you can, small or big. Keep talking about it with each other. Some of you are going to have problems with what I've said. Talk to one another. Talk to me. I'm not even upset if you disagree. But let's keep figuring out. As long as we're clear, once we figure out what Jesus wants us to do, we will do it. Are we agreed? We will do it. Watch for opportunities to be the church. And I wish I could Oh, There's so many quotes that I would like to share with you. So many writers from the past who've spoken eloquently that if the church would have simply spoken out, there is no way some of these inequities and injustices could have gone on. But instead, we sat 
quiet because we were safe and comfortable. I have a hunch that Jesus would rather burn our new campus to the ground than let us think we can be safe and comfortable. And if we won't use that to leverage into our community, I don't expect him to let us keep it. So I'm stealing this little thing as we close from Tony Evans in one of his books. I'll just read it as he wrote it. In 1990, Saddam Hussein invaded the little-known nation of Kuwait. Saudi Arabia, knowing that it would be next on Saddam's hit list, called Washington and asked for help. Now, regardless of your political persuasion, you have to kind of agree that at that occasion, then-President Bush was at his best. Because President Bush picked up the phone and he called England and he called Canada, and he called Spain, and he called France, and he called Italy, and he called Turkey, and numbers of other countries around the world, and he built a famous coalition. Men and women from different backgrounds, different races, different classes, different cultures, different personalities, they all gathered in the Gulf with one singularly focused agenda, to draw a line in the sand, to serve notice to this madman that not only could he not take any more territory, he was going to have to give back the territory he had already taken. The coalition was to serve notice on him that his days of rule in the Gulf were over. Right now, there is another mad person in history. He's called the devil. He's come on territory that he has not created and he does not own. He has, brought with, he has brought with him death and disease and destruction. But God has responded by building his own coalition made up of black people and white people and red people and yellow people, made up of tall people and short people, made up of people from various classes and backgrounds to draw a line in the sand to serve notice on this mad one that not only can he not take any more territory, he's going to have to give back what he has already taken. That coalition is the church. We are not here for our comfort. We are here to draw Sorry, I'm choked up because it's a totally selfish thought right now. I, just as I was speaking, I just said, Lord, forgive me for being such a coward. We have a chance to respond as the church, to step right into the middle of this somehow, some way, and speak up for what is right. By God's grace, we will do that. Thanks for listening. Intro music by bensound.com. Visit us online at crossroads-cc.org.